0: Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer.
1: Hi. My guest today is Charlotte McDevitt. She's Executive Director of Green VI, and we're going to be talking about working toward a greener and healthier British Virgin Islands, demonstrating the benefits of sustainable living with clean, renewable energy. Hello, Charlotte.
2: Hi, Rob. How are you doing?
1: Excellent. So how is life in Tortola? It's good. It's hot. Yeah. Uh, So um, tell us about um, how you came to... um, Start Green Virgin Islands. So, I
2: in 2009 um, there was a a group of us, and we wanted to, you know, islands um, are really a perfect way to demonstrate sustainable living, just because of the size and the closed systemness of it. Um, So, we set up Green VI. Uh, We're a not-for-profit, and we were registered in 2009. We're governed by a board of directors who are prominent local business people. And our aim really is a green, clean, and healthy BVI in which there's a balance between development and the natural environment. Because I think um, when you live on a small piece of land, and our island is really small, the main island of the um, British Virgin Islands is Tortola, and it takes about an hour to drive from one side to the other um, I think that's when you realize how you really need to look after what you have. Um, and so that's why with this organization, we'd like to demonstrate the principles of sustainable living so that we can look after what we have.
1: It's only about 60 square miles or so. don't no, that's yes. how far it is, I guess. Sorry, and, what's that? And then it's not like, you know, Martha's Vineyard or the islands of similar size up here in New England Uh, because you're a little steeper and more mountainous and a little more difficult to move around, right?
2: Yeah, and we're also further away from the mainland that could support us.
1: Yes. I had the good fortune to to visit the island, and you were good to take me around. Um, And uh, there seems to be a bit of a problem with the trash.
2: (laughs) There's a bit of a problem with the trash when you don't have a lot of land uh you don't have a lot of space for landfill and you don't have a lot of space to um put all that trash um the island um really experienced a boom um, in the 60s there wasn't much happening there weren't that many roads it was all quite it was a quiet island and then um a few things happened um the uh, financial sector was developed, um, and there was offshore banking, um, and tourism also developed. And, you know, in the last 30, 40 years, the island has just seen a huge increase in population and also gross domestic product. So it's meant that uh, with more people and with more money to spend, the the waste streams on the island have increased dramatically. I mean, in the last decade alone, we've seen a three-fold increase in the waste stream. So the island systems have been totally overwhelmed by the amount of waste produced by people on the islands.
1: Yes, I, I see in your report that in 1995, it was like less than 10,000 tons, yeah. and now you're way up there, right?
2: Yeah. in ninety five, there was less than 10,000 tons produced per annum on all the islands. And now, uh, and then the latest accurate statistic I had of 2005, in which there was just under 40,000 tons. So, um, you know, what that's resulted in is, um, there's no more landfill space on Portola. Um, you know, because as you mentioned, it's a really hilly island. Um, to engineer a landfill site in that sort of topographical area is very difficult and very expensive. Um, they did a feasibility for one, and it would only—I think it would cost what was it? Uh, it would cost twelve million dollars and only be be able to be used for five years. So what Totola did was opt for an incinerator, um, but you know the incinerator can't process all the waste. Um, it reduces it by eighty-five, ninety percent, and then you still have the residue, and then there are also things that you just can't put into the incinerator. So that really gets put behind the incinerator. Um, it's an area called Pockwood Pond, where the incinerator is. There's also the uh, the electricity generation is there, and so is the landfill site, which is now actually full. So, you know, I think um, the the capacity for the incinerator can handle 40 tons a day, and right now in season, they'll receive about 200, well, 150, 200 tons a day. So the oh, amount talk. of waste it coming in tons. is, you know, way exceeds the capacity of the current systems.
1: Yes, Charlotte. Repeat that again. It's like from 40,000 to 250?
2: The, the oh. illness, you know, center uh, it can burn 40 tons a day. But in tons. season, uh, so in peak drought season, when you've got the most being generated, like over Christmas, you are receiving... Well, they received about 150 to 200 tons a day. Wow. So they, could, they couldn't process a quarter of what was coming in.
1: And then some of the people downwind aren't too happy about that.
2: No, not at all, because what, what happens then is um, the waste that can't be processed by the incinerator gets open burnt in the, in the landfill behind the incinerator, and, um, you know, that causes quite toxic emissions, And St. John, one of the islands downwind of the incinerator, as well as residents in Tortola, have complained about these emissions. And, um, yeah, the U.S. EPA is involved with that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there are health implications to these emissions.
1: And when you are downwind, you get a smell of plastic in the air. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You get a smell of burning stuff, um, and plastic is sort of one of the odors you can recognize.
1: Because the island has no other way of dealing with plastics.
2: Uh, No, not right now, no. And there's a difference between incinerating it and open burning it as well.
1: Well, yes, but the incinerator doesn't really have all the scrubbers we'd like it to have, does it? (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, it doesn't actually have any, but um, the, uh, there is a new incinerator that's been constructed, and um, I've been told that that one certainly does have the scrubber systems necessary. And the okay. new incinerator that's been um, installed, um, it should be online shortly, and that can process 100 tons a day, and um, that should significantly reduce the, um, the open burning emissions.
1: So then when it's busy, they'll run two incinerators, but they can stop the open burning?
2: That is the plan, yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: I was interested to see in your um, report that the amount of waste went up and up and up, and then after 2011, it, uh, after 9-11, it uh, went down for a couple of years, and now it's even higher. But uh, it was a remarkable you were saying, why did it go down like that? Uh, it's
2: quite simple. There were less um, Americans traveling during that time um, after that event, and uh, less tourists mean less waste being generated on the island. But it is. It's really interesting to see it in a graph and to see, the, you know, the real impact.
1: Yeah, because we just assume everyone goes about their own business, and the amount of waste is a direct reflection on the number of people, but apparently um, tourists, as you said, generate more waste, and yet the history of the British Virgin Islands and Tortola as a sailing capital of the world and as the kind of gateway to the Caribbean when you're coming across the Atlantic is, you know, people pull up with all this trash, and you don't want to see it thrown off their ships onto, into your mangrove swamps and onto your beaches. So Tortola is so good to take the trash, and then you're stuck with a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. And they used to uh, they used to accept uh, cruise ship waste as well, but that doesn't happen anymore.
1: And hopefully the cruise ships aren't just dumping it in the harbor.
2: They're not, no. Um uh, we don't. Uh, th- what they're required to do now is to have onboard incinerators, so they're supposed well, to process their own waste on board.
1: Because that's been an issue here in the states, is to enforce a five mile or a three mile buffer before they could dump their waste into the ocean. They had to go off shore a few miles or something. Much better to have really them burn it. It, it
2: doesn't mean that it disappears. I, I just <laughs> I don't know. There has to be a better way.
1: And so um so you got this uh greenvi.org up and running and yes. um and and what are some of the um signature parts of this uh nonprofit organization
2: Sorry, some I've, of the signature?
1: Yeah, what's happening in Cane Garden Bay there?
2: Oh, okay. So let me one of the um you know, when I was busy doing my research um into waste management in the BBI, one of yes. the things that I found out was that uh, glass waste causes a real problem in the incineration process. Um, these small pieces of glass actually melt onto the inside of walls of the incinerator, and um, solid waste staff have to shut the machine down for, you know, at least two or three times a year to chip this glass off by hand because it damages the structure. And... Um, you know during the, it takes about 10 days each time they shut it down and during that time you've got all this waste coming in that can't be processed so that gets open burned um and then you know you've got other health impacts as well you've got flies you've got you know vermin those sorts of issues but um with the glass um we looked at that as a green dry. we looked at that as the first waste stream to try and remove Um, just because of the problems that it does cause in the waste management system in Tortola. So we've set up a demonstration project. It's it's certainly not um, a cure for all the glass waste in Tortola. It's it's just to demonstrate the concept of turning waste into a resource. So we've set up a glass studio that's based on a project in Maho in St. John. And really what we do is we take the glass bottles from the restaurants in the area, we melt them down, we have a glass blower who's training uh, the three local apprentices how the art of blowing glass. Um, so right now, um, so it's all made out of recycled glass. It's a full skills transfer. Um, the glass blower has taught the apprentices how to build the equipment, and so right now they're learning how to blow glass. Um,
1: that is phenomenal. So you have the um, the glass furnace set up, and you're able to melt down the clear glass and maybe some colored glass and blow it, right, into um, yes. art.
2: Yeah, into art. We're making some beautiful pieces. Um, someone's going to help us on our website to do a um, an online catalog of all our products. Um, the nice thing about the products is that, you know, if you buy them, all the proceeds go towards Green BI so that we can keep doing other work on the island, Um but they're helping us set up a, an online shopping cart so that uh, you could see all our our wear. You know, we're making things right now that range from glasses to ornaments to really nice decanters with a BVI logo. Everything's got a BVI stamp on it, so it's handmade in the British Virgin Islands. And um, it's just a really fun, you know, aspect. We've had oh, we've had hundreds of school kids come through the studio and. You know, it's an aspect I really like. They, they get to see something that they usually throw away get converted into something that's really beautiful. And, um, you know, we've had... We're going to start doing corporate groups now as well. Um, so there's a big educational aspect where people can actually see a principle in being demonstrated.
1: We're going to come right back after this break for more from Charlotte McDivitt. <laughs>
0: dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science.
1: you. This is the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green.
0: are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're
1: back, and we're talking with Charlotte McDevitt. And she's the executive director of Green Virgin Islands, greenvi.org. And, uh, Charlotte you were telling us about uh, opening a glass, what do you call it, a glass factory, I guess, where uh, a people studio. are... Go ahead.
2: Yeah, it's a glass studio. It's a really small operation. It's 20 foot by 20 foot or 25 foot by 25 foot. Uh, you know, some people go there expecting a factory, and it's not. It's really small, and it's tucked away in a corner in Cane Garden Bay, um, just opposite Mayas, and, um, uh, yeah, it's it's quite indiscreet, tucked away in the palm trees. Um, the Maya's
1: right there on the beach, so you can go to the beach and then pick up some refreshment and then wander over to take a look at what's happening at absolutely, the Absolutely, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then, you know, if you have a, a bear, a carob bear or a um, corona those are actually our favorite bottles to recycle. Um, so they, they, would whatever beer you're having would end up in the recycling bin, and it would come over to our studio.
1: So you like the clear glass?
2: Right now we're using clear glass. Um, we're going to do batches of um, the the brown and the green as well, but right now we're using clear, and then what we do is we add some color to it, some colored glass to, to just give us, you know, different colors. <laughs>
1: I I like the um, animal life that's being made at the studio there, particularly the turtles I find very attractive and endearing.
2: Yeah, the turtles are great. You know, the the glass blower and the glass team are really coming up with different designs all the time. They've made a really nice dolphin as well. They make starfish. Mm. um, And they've also done, like, goblets, wine goblets with a seahorse, you know, as part of the handle. So there's some really nice things that they're coming up with.
1: And they're doing some sandblasting as well or sand polishing?
2: Yeah, um, with things like the turtle, you can sandblast the shell of the turtle with a logo. Um, you know, quite a few corporate sponsors have requested um, branding on some of our pieces. And, um, that you know, that's, just a, that's a possibility as well. well we're cool. also, we're a... also trying to go... Um, quite functional as well, and we're trying to do, uh, well, that's our next step, is to do functional things like um, recycled glass tiles for buildings, for houses, and also washing basins. So, you know, we'll just keep developing different products.
1: Yes, those are quite big. A washing basin is quite a large glass sculpture.
2: Yeah, yeah. And light fittings, well, you're also going to start looking at light fittings, too.
1: It is fun to have a turtle, and remember that in buying the turtle, you help to save uh, Tortola, to help it be a greener place.
2: That's right, because all the proceeds go straight back into the organization so we can run more projects.
1: And they're using glass that didn't get thrown into the incinerator and then stuck on the walls, and some poor guy didn't have to go in there and chip it off the wall for the incinerator.
2: That's right. (laughs) That's right. Um, So,
1: um, yes. That's got to be about the worst job in the world, having to go inside of an incinerator with, what, a hammer and chisel and just bang away at glass stuff that's stuck on the wall?
2: Yep. And, you know, you're also directly exposed to really toxic um, incinerator ash that's full of, you know, heavy metals and things that you just don't really want near you. Yeah, I required to wear um you know safety equipment. Um but they don't
1: always. Do wow. Well, so quick, buy more glass from Green VI, which stands for Virgin Island. So it's greenvi.org. dot org. And if you go to the um, Charlotte's website, you can see a short video about them uh working in the uh glass studio. And um what else are your plans for glass on, on uh, Tortola?
2: Well, also on our website, what we'd like to do is totally remove all the glass from the waste stream. We, we actually we we're going to be looking at all the waste streams, but we began with glass because of the problems that it causes in the incinerator. Also, just that it's just such a wonderful material and there's so many uses for it. So um, one of the things that we've done, and you can also see a video clip on our website... Is we took uh, about 20 cubic yards of bottles, and um, we crushed them. And we did this in partnership with the local recycler, as well as uh, Tortola Concrete, one of the concrete companies. And um, the recycler crushed the glass for us, and uh, Tortola Concrete allowed us to use their equipment. And we um, put all the glass into a concrete one of their concrete trucks, and we we. Uh, mixed it for it was about nine hours, and but we were experimenting. We didn't put any abrasive in in the beginning. We wanted to see if the glass would abrade on itself, but it didn't. So we had to put abrasive in, which is really just sand and water. Um, and what came out was a, a landscape aggregate that we've used in the garden around the studio now. Um, and it is—it's actually really pretty. You know, it's really nice. So instead of you know quarrying rock or importing something else, you know, we can use what was a waste stream to make a really beautiful landscape material.
1: So you started with a tumbler, and then you said you had to mix in sand and water so that it would smooth off the glass?
2: Yeah, because, um, you know, like, as as happens with sea glass, um, you know, on a beach, the, the, the sand abrades the glass um, to make all that sea glass that people really like. This is just a sort of man-made version of doing the same thing.
1: So if anybody wants a lot of sea glass, call Charlotte at greenvi.org.
2: Man-made sea glass.
1: Yeah, hand-tumbled sea glass. Yeah. Um, And then it was mixed with cement.
2: (laughs) I don't want people calling me for that, though, Rob, because we're working with the local recycler there, because what we'd like to do is help him set up his system so that he can... um, sell that as a product and get his own systems
1: going. Right. So, Well, you can, you can give that information to people who call in. You can tell
2: absolutely, them yeah. how
1: to get in touch with the guy.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and, and then you were saying that the cement company helped you by providing, at no expense to you, cement that was mixed in with the uh, crushed and tumbled glass. And so you created an aggregate that, now how would I use this aggregate?
2: You just well, it needs to be clean first. Um, and once it's clean, you just you can put it around your plants or you can put it along a pathway.
1: And it'll stay where I put it when the heavy rains come.
2: Yeah, it's actually it's amazing. It's an amazing material. It's um, you know we're also um, we have hurricanes, and the glass doesn't move in a hurricane.
1: Well, everything else moves, but the glass <laughs> is there. <laughs> uh,
2: because the, uh, the you know there's a um, there's a glass recycler on Tortola. I think I, I took you to see that site, didn't I?
1: Which site was this?
2: The the glass the glass recycler, big piles of glass. And yeah, he, and I see it on your video on your homepage
1: here too. It looks familiar. It's down by the dump where they're burning stuff well, too. No, it's
2: but... it's down in Seacows Bay, so it's before before the dump, and. Yeah. Um, Basically, he'd been collecting glass for three years, and like I say, he was trying to find a market for it, but it's a very low-value waste stream, so he couldn't find anyone to buy it, so it's still sitting there, and it just doesn't move in storms. It stays there.
1: And then you came along, and you took how much?
2: Oh, we took 20 cubic yards just for this little experiment, but it did create a pathway for him to get back into his equipment, because the site had become a bit sort of unmanageable
1: and if you had a, a, a formal tumbling machine or a, rock, or a glass breaking machine, you could um, be processing all of his glass, right?
2: Well, that's, that's what we're hoping to do, actually. Um, that's uh, a project that we're working with him on right now is to... Um, he, he, he's got the equipment to crush the glass. It's just to get a, a small concrete tumbler to tumble what he needs to, to smooth the edges. Um, We're also looking at a piece of equipment that could um, process glass waste into building aggregates uh, or into construction aggregates. Um, All you do is you put the glass in, uh, the bottles in, and it sorts out the plastic and the metal, um, spits that out, and you're left with um, two aggregates. You're left with a sand aggregate, and you're left with a small, probably about two millimetres big Two to four millimeters um, of aggregate that's smooth, so you don't need to you don't need to put it in a tumbler because it's already been smoothed, and that's great for concrete applications, uh, concrete glass applications like countertops and floors and benches, you know that sort of thing. What we are really hoping to do is to try and use that aggregate in roads. Um, one of the big problems in Tortola is the erosion. Uh, because, as you said before, it's a really hilly island. There's also, you know, a lot of roads are cut into these hills. So when it rains, the runoff is, is terrible. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and those of you who know the impact that erosion has on the coral reefs, is it, if someone described it to me, as basically like smothering the coral. It's like putting a blanket on it and just smothering it. Uh, so what we'd like to do is find a way to Use the glass aggregate and into roads and build roads with good drainage so that the roads don't get washed away during floods, which is what happens almost every year in Tortola. so you know so to put the base of the road with the uh, glass sand and then to use the aggregate, the bigger aggregate, in the actual road itself. so if Rob, if you know anyone who has the experience to do it, because I know it's been done in many places in the world. But we're looking for someone who can do some skills transfer and help us build some good drain, roads with good drainage in Tortola using glass.
1: Yeah, it's so important to stop that sedimentation that runs out onto the coral reefs. Uh, it's probably the, the worst thing that happens to the British Virgin Island coral reefs. You know, and they're working very hard to keep ships from hitting the, the reef and stuff. But this um, sediment outflow that comes with the rains, because all this loose sediment, is really, really bad. So, this is very exciting that you're putting together a material that will retain and hold together the shorelines so that there won't be um, such damage. And we'll be back to hear more about what Green VI is doing after this break. Don't
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. All together. dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer.
1: We're talking with Charlotte McDivitt. And, Charlotte, how can people learn more about the work of uh, Green Virgin Islands?
2: They uh, so can go onto our website, Rob, at uh, greenvi.org. And um, our website is being updated, but, uh, so just keep checking back.
1: Great. And before the break, you were talking about uh, mixing glass with concrete. And it sounded like we were getting to solving two problems with one solution.
2: Yeah, if we can uh, get it right, well, we're, we're trying to access funding right now for this equipment that we would need to process the glass waste into these aggregates. And if we can um, get the skills to put this into roads, we'll be solving a waste problem, you know, getting all the glass waste out of the waste stream because it would use huge amounts. Um, and we'd be reducing erosion on the island.
1: That's phenomenal. You would, you, not only are you recycling and reusing, but you are solving a really critical bad problem to the coral reefs of, uh, around the British Virgin Islands, which is the outwash of sediment that smothers the reefs. And by creating this aggregate that's going to hold together the shoreline basic, or the road, the cutaways, um, mm-hmm. that's just very exciting news.
2: Yeah. Wish us luck.
1: So, so you, you explained you started with glass because of um, the difficulties that glass was causing in the incineration process, um, and I understand you have also looking at uh, recycling or minimizing the waste stream of other elements, like um, aluminum? Yeah,
2: we're, glass is the first waste stream. The next one we're looking at is aluminum, and again, we're trying to access funding for that. Um the glass, if you look at the waste stream analysis, glass is about um glass is about oh sorry um it's about twelve percent of the waste stream, and aluminium is probably about the same, about ten percent um, so yeah, that's the next waste stream we'd like to look at eliminating, and that's probably one of your more viable waste streams you know that would be um, shipped off to the states or Puerto Rico, perhaps for processing.
1: Because there's a market for that?
2: Yes. I mean, that's, uh, that's one of, it's one of the more feasible waste streams on the islands. Um, the problem with recycling on the islands is that, um, the, you know, it, the expense of, of shipping recyclables off for the amount that you have, um, it, it would have to be a highly subsidized system. The, the aluminum comes close to covering the cost.
1: And what kinds of things... How do we generate aluminum trash?
2: Oh, through beers, drinks, you
1: know. All um, the tin cans that we're drinking out of and stuff.
2: Yeah, And you must remember, um, on boats, they prefer cans to bottles just because of breakage. Yes. So, um, you know, you've seen a big increase in in cans being imported as opposed to glass.
1: Yes. And and so um, does... Cortola, separate that in the garbage pickup, or does this happen at the dump, or what's going to happen here?
2: Well, we're developing the business plan right now, and what we would do is is base it on a partnership model where a nonprofit government and business would work together, and we'd all subsidize the system. So um, Green BI would access funding for the equipment, and we would also do the skills transfer to equip the local recyclers. In their processes, solid waste have agreed to do the collection of the cans, and, um, and then local businesses would also help support and fund the system. And we would have recycling bins at um, all the marinas, restaurants hotels and all the schools, and those would be the central collection points for the island. What we can do by doing it that way, you can run really nice education programs about recycling and about waste reduction through those networks as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then the equipment is for moving it, or do you need equipment for compressing it?
2: No, for baling it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and bailing it.
2: Bailing it, yeah. But as I said, solid waste would do the collection of the recyclable. So they would collect it, bring it to the central point where the recycler is, and the recycler would bail it and ship it off.
1: Bravo. Get rid of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> we're just accessing funding and do it with working out details, that is, you know, that's what the basic plan is right now.
1: And then um, uh, you're also making some initiatives with composting.
2: That's... There the, are another two projects ahead of that, and then that one will be the next one. Um, so maybe they I should go on to the project that we're doing right now, and then I'll go into the composting. Because the... Com- yeah. The, the other projects that we're running right now are um, we're running a clean energy campaign. And uh, if you go onto our website, greenbi.org, uh, we put up an online petition to um, petition government for clean energy for the BBI. Because right now it's illegal to have wind or any renewable energy, solar, as your main source of power, uh, whether you're a business or a resident. And
1: um, it's illegal. Wow!
2: It's illegal. Yeah, and this is old legislation from the seventies um, that that restricts the use of renewable energies. So what we're doing is we're petitioning government, saying we'd like them to, um, you know, remove this and you know make it feasible for renewable energy to exist in in the BVI. You know, <laughs> we're blessed with abundant sunshine and and trade winds it's it's a no brainer to use those as our energy sources.
1: well I've talked to landowners who you know are anxious to put up you know solar panels or um, maybe wind and and yet there's no way they can get any help with their electric bills from doing that also
2: this t- it's illegal for them to yeah do
1: what it. I mean it's illegal yeah. so um so what's being so how's that going to be addressed well
2: we, we've actually, um, we, we've we been working with a local law, law firm, Harneys, and they've actually amended the legislation that currently bans um, renewable. And um, what we we're hoping to do is take the petition form and the amended legislation to politicians, because this is an election year, and to yep. say to them, you know, people want renewable energy and... Um, this is how you can amend this legislation, and and then for government to work on, you know, a strategy for renewable energy for the BVI for the future.
1: Bravo. Well, so
2: please sign the petition.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. that's <laughs> right. So people, uh, is it okay for off-islanders to sign the petition?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
1: because you're a tourist economy, so it's good to know what the tourists like.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, again, that's at uh, Green VI, which stands for Virgin Island, GreenVI.org, and uh, sign the petition and uh, drop a note to Charlotte saying she's doing good work here because it's a long haul. There's a lot of trash you're working your way through there.
2: It's a long haul, but uh, those are vets in the field. That's what we get to do.
1: Uh, was there another project you want to talk about before composting?
2: Oh, yes, and then the other one is um, we've just been awarded UNESCO funding for an environmental education strategy for the BVI. Um, what we found is that in the schools, world, in the BVI in general, there's not much awareness about some of the environmental issues. You know, there's a, I suppose it's around the world. There's a disconnect about, you know, how reliant we are on our environment, you know, we need clean air, we need clean water, um, we need clean soil and um, so really, what this environmental education strategy is all about is to develop sectoral policies um, for everyone in the bvi so it ranges from schools to churches to government to you know business um, you know all the sectors tourism and it's to, to create a strategy on how we're going to educate people in those sectors on the environment. And we're using a framework called the Natural Step, which is, um, actually it's actually, it's a scientific framework on sustainability that was based, that was developed in Sweden. And, um, and what it does is, is it explains to people why sustainability is important. You know, it's, it's, um, For me, it's one of the things that environmental education needs to pull it all together. It's almost like an umbrella. It says, this is what we're doing as a species, and, you know, what can you do about it? And it's a a really empowering workshop. um, And what it does is it leaves one with a sense of, well, now I can do something. And, you know, so we want to take this thinking because through this um, training that we want to bring in, because it's a train-the-trainer process. So someone would come from Canada and train 15 people in the BVI, and these 15 people would work with conservation and fisheries who the lead um, agency for environmental education, um, and they would develop these sectoral policies. And everyone would be teaching the same thing, but if we'd just be to different audiences. So everyone would have the same shared language as to what sustainable development means and the same roadmaps as to how we're going to get there. Within their own sectors, if that made sense.
1: Yes, it totally does. I think we're going to have to take a break, and I'm looking forward to talking more about sustainability in the British Virgin Islands. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market
0: C3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet?
1: This is the Voice America Green Living Channel. Spread the green.
0: You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer.
1: Hi, we're talking with Charlotte McDevitt, Executive Director of GreenVI.org. And Charlotte's telling us about how they've been awarded UNESCO funding for an environmental education strategy uh, around sustainability. And I define sustainability as living with the smallest possible pollution and carbon footprint. So the way we can all live together sustainably, is to minimize our impacts, our negative impacts on the environment. And, of course, Charlotte's excelling in that. She's been telling us about how they're recycling glass and also solving a problem of sediment washing onto the reefs by holding the land back with a glass concrete aggregate. She told us about uh, getting together recycling efforts for aluminum and um and also the clean energy issues there where they, it's difficult to um, hook up a, uh, a clean energy generator like wind or, or solar uh, because of the current regulations. And so there needs to be a change by the politicians to enable the landowners of Tortola to uh, install um, clean energy production for their local usage. And then sustainability. So tell us a little more about the um, environmental education strategy that you're working on.
2: Well, really um you know as i mentioned it's just it's there to 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 understand what sustainable development means so that you know totolo can or the bbi can you know i think there are a lot of lessons that we can le- learn from the the elders there because a lot of the older generation who still live on the islands, you know we're really good at fending for themselves. They grew their own food in their their kitchen garden. They um, Everyone's got cisterns there, so we all catch our own rainwater. Um, And I think that just with all the options that we have today, sustainable living is a lot easier than we think. And, you know, I think it creates a lot of these win-win situations like we've been discussing, where you solve one problem and you get all these benefits. Um, So... With the environmental education strategy um and this training that we want to bring in this natural step training, you know it'll just it it creates a shared language and a shared framework and a shared goal of where we'd like to go.
1: It really sounds win win situations where you can live um with less harmful food and less harmful um, pollutants around you and also Um, more modestly. You don't need as much money um, because systems are more efficient or something.
2: And also, I mean, if you look at concepts like uh, cradle-to-cradle, William McDonoghue, where their basic premise is that the the mistake that humans are making is that uh, we create waste, whether it's in the form of solid waste, liquid, or air. Um, You know, we create those pollution forms. But in nature, waste is equal to food. And if we remember that equation, um, he talks about any product that's designed should be designed with its end use in mind. So it should either become a technical nutrient or or an organic nutrient. So the the technical nutrient is something like an aluminum can. That should be recycled to become another can. Um, An organic nutrient would be something like... um, biodegradable containers, you know, which is something else that um, Green Tech has brought into, introduced into the British Virgin Islands. Where instead of using polystyrene cups and um, containers, you use biodegradable containers. So then at least it can be composted and it doesn't become a waste stream. And I think is that, you know, real the closer challenge. we get to that equation, waste is equal to food. And the more we live that, the Closer we become, we get to sustainable living.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I've talked to the, you know, the bartenders and people on the island, and it's really difficult for them to move away from styrofoam cups because it's inexpensive, it's a good insulation. How are they uh, changing that equation?
2: Well, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's all a work in process. Um, so there are some places who. Even like the Spring Regatta and uh, the BVI Boat Show, they always make sure that they use biodegradable products at their functions, and there are certain um, companies in the BBI who have switched to the biodegradable containers. Um, so, you know, one step at a time.
1: Yeah, it has to be accessible, and then there's public pressure to, to have um, drinks in uh, re- recyclable or compostable materials. Yeah, congratulations. Also, it's
2: also just to realize the impact of those, those um, plastic products. I mean, uh, polystyrene is not recyclable at all, and when it's burnt, especially with the open burning, it creates horrible toxins. So, you know, the, the, it's not worth it. Um, it's better to get it out of the waste stream. Also, it becomes litter items, which the biodegradable containers wouldn't do, Um, and, um, you know, that's ingested by the sea life. Um, And also, when hot food is put into these plastic containers, you know, some of those chemicals leach into the food or the drink that you're drinking or eating. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that I'm, I'm hoping when the government develops a solid waste management plan that they find fiscal tools to tax those products Um, and to make the biodegradable products, you know, more accessible. I'm not saying that biodegradable products are the answer to everything because essentially what you're doing is you're using a food source to create a packaging, but um, on a small island setting where we can't process any of that plastic waste, and, you know, it's probably one of the better options.
1: Well, your whole approach has been systemic and systems thinking, you know, thinking holistically about how, can we you know minimize the impacts of our our way of living so um you know so yes, uh you want to encourage people to to use one kind of container uh and you also want to educate them about how it's better for their health and and so on um, We need you know lots of incentives yeah um it's been just phenomenal that you could take the time to uh, from your busy work to uh tell us about uh the work of green v i and um, uh, can you tell us, again, the kind of overall vision for um, Green BI with the last minutes we have remaining?
2: Yes. Well, really what we're working towards is a greener, cleaner, and healthier BBI. Um, You know, um, as they talk about in sustainability, it's, uh, it's the environment, it's people, and it's economics, and it's all bound together, um, you know, so... Yes. Yeah.
1: And you wanted to recognize some of your supporters?
2: Uh, yes. Um, you know, this pro- our first project, which is supposed to be our main fundraiser so we can keep on doing more projects, has been really well supported by um, the Overseas Territory Environmental Program. They were our big funders for our glass studio, um, and that's London funding that comes through to the British Virgin Islands. And then their grant was matched by local businesses. Um, Sol is our biggest local sponsor, and they've donated the propane for our glass studio. And without that, you know, this project wouldn't have been possible. And then we've had, you know, like Tico has sponsored the, an apprentice salary for a year to train one of the apprentices how to blow glass. Um, and you know, we've had we've had about 20 local businesses support us. In, in getting this project up and running. So we've also, um, you know, for our recycling project that we've got coming up, we've got some really nice um, support, local support there too. And you know, I just really like the way that these businesses have come and, you know, shown their support um, yes. to get this sort of thing off the ground.
1: Again, you know, please visit greenvi.org. And you can click on the growing list of sponsors under um I guess it's under sponsors, yeah, and partners. Yep, it's under uh, sponsors
2: and partners. And also on our video clip for our Glass Studio, we list all our sponsors there who and we show who sponsored what to make it possible.
1: Yes, yes. The um, the video is is worth the watching for many reasons. And um, you've had a grand opening and um, I highly recommend that you uh put uh, the British Virgin Islands on your travel plans for some future time and stop by uh, Cane Garden Bay and on Tortola and visit the uh, glass studio, the green glass
2: studio. <laughs> well, Rob, thanks very much for having us. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you for all your good work. And, <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time... Take care and be sustainable.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Living Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com.